Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Good morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online. We are glad that you are with us this morning as well. Uh, We're excited about what's going to happen over this next week. We've got a lot happening this next week uh, here at CityWalk. If you're new to CityWalk, uh, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll get to know us, you know, as, as you come back and, and you'll find out that, man, we, we love to have a party around here and next Sunday. And you're like, is because you love Halloween so much is why next Sunday is going to be a party. No, the reason why next Sunday is going to be one of our favorite days is because next Sunday is when we get to watch people go public with their faith. And there is never a better day at our church than when we get to see people baptized and, and really be, tell the world, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus and I want the world to know about it. And so next week, if you uh, want to be baptized and you haven't signed up yet, uh, you can go to our app and just check in the announcements. There's a spot you can sign up or just go to our website and go to the next steps area and uh, you can get signed up there. And uh, whether you're getting baptized next week or not, next week don't miss because it's an opportunity for us to celebrate uh, with our gathering. Uh, just some really cool things as we watch people go public with their faith. Uh, this past week, uh, you probably had, I don't know if you had a busy week or not, but this past week was kind of a busy week for our family. And one of the things that we have started to get involved in as a family that is kind of new to us is preparing for college. And so my daughter, Julia, who she plays the keyboard, uh, she is 18. She's a senior in high school and she's done good in her school over the last few years. And so she has some opportunities for college. And so we're, we're kind of starting to put together that plan. And, and so this week, because of my personality, we made a task list of, all right, here's the things we need to accomplish so that you're in the best position to make the best choice for your future. And so because she's done good in school, she's got some great opportunities ahead of her. For me, when I was in high school, the task list was a lot shorter because I didn't have as many opportunities available to me because I wasn't a huge fan of English, math, and science. I was more of a fan of my sports and my friends. And so when it came time to graduate high school, I, I, you know, the, the task list was pretty short because the opportunity list was pretty short. And to tell you how bad it was, I, my eighth grade year, uh, I failed uh, like a semester of Algebra one, And so in order to graduate as a senior, I had to make up what I had failed. And so, I mean, just, just think, think about how great this would feel if you were a senior in high school. Senior in high school, Chris, in his final semester in high school, is in Algebra one with a class of eighth graders. And you would think, well, you probably aced the class then, right, Chris? I mean, you're four years older than everyone else in the class. You've actually taken the class before. But to be honest with you, I barely got out. Uh, Literally the last day of the year, I remember going into my Algebra 1 teacher and asking her, hey, what did I make on the final test? Because what I made on the final test would determine if I passed algebra and if I got a diploma. And so I just wasn't good at it. I wasn't good at algebra, obviously. And, And I was, at this point in my life, I was a little bit too proud to admit it. And so I just kind of played it off and acted like I didn't care about it. Even though I, I really did, I just wasn't good at it. And so, man, I, I cut up and I kind of made fun of myself and those types of things because I didn't understand algebra. I wasn't good at it. And, and you can probably relate to this. We tend to avoid things that we don't understand. 
We, we tend to avoid things that we're not great at. I mean, if we have a choice to make between thing, you know, several things and, and one of them we're, we're, we're really good at and one of them we're terrible at or don't understand, we're, unless there's a lot of money on this thing, we're going to choose the thing that we're good at. We're going to choose the thing that we understand. And that's what I did. And, and what's interesting is this hasn't just happened to me in algebra. But for me, this has happened in my spiritual life as well. And, and maybe you can relate with this, whether you're somebody that's a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're somebody that's kind of investigating this whole faith thing. Maybe you can relate. I, I found myself in, in things that I wasn't sure of or things I couldn't wrap my hands around. I didn't understand. I would avoid them or maybe downplay them. And, and there's been seasons of my life that prayer has been that thing. And maybe you can relate with that. Where, you know what, I, I didn't really understand how prayer worked. I mean, does, does God really listen? Does God really hear me? Does my little prayers actually change his, I mean, does it change his mind? Does it make a difference? Is his mind already made up? Like, how does it all work? And so I found myself at times and in seasons of my life, maybe, maybe not making prayer a priority or avoiding it or downplaying it because I, I didn't quite understand it. I couldn't wrap my hands around it. And so I found myself kind of avoiding it. And, and again, maybe you can relate with that. But here's the good thing. If you can relate with that, we're not the first people in history to have questions about how prayer works. We're not the first people in history to even be a little confused about prayer. In fact, Jesus' guys, his disciples, had questions about prayer. Jesus' own kind of inner circle, they weren't sure how it all worked. And instead of Jesus kind of letting them be confused, Jesus took the time to literally teach them to pray. And, and Luke, who was a doctor and, and wrote one of the accounts that we have of Jesus' life, he actually talks to us a little bit about one of the conversations that Jesus had with his guys, with his disciples, with those guys that had walked with him for many years during his ministry. Luke kind of pulls back the curtain a little bit and kind of gives us a front row seat to a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples about prayer. And here's what you won't find. You won't find Jesus scolding them about this. What Jesus does is he graciously teaches them to pray. And he does it but with a couple things. He gives them a, a model Kind of a, hey, here's a pattern of how you can pray. And then he also gives them some illustrations, some things that they could really understand that help them really implement prayer in their own life. And in Luke, well, well, if you have your Bible or it'll be up on the screen or you can go right to the app and you'll find it in there as well. Well, we'll pick up in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And it says this, it starts with this phrase. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying. So Luke starts, and, and this, is, this is a verse that's not an abnormal verse. This isn't like, oh, this is the only time in, in all of Jesus' ministry that you find him doing this. See, Jesus, all throughout his ministry and life, he just made it a rhythm of his life to pray. In fact, Luke says it this way in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. He says this, he says, Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. And so to, to find Jesus praying wasn't like a big surprise because that's what Jesus did. Many times throughout Jesus' ministry, he would pull away from the crowds and he would go pray. He would go talk with his father. Uh, before he chose his disciples, he prayed. Before he was betrayed, he prayed. While he was on the cross, he prayed. At his baptism, he prayed. It was just a normal part of Jesus' life. And so when his disciples saw him praying, this wasn't anything new. And, and it says this in, in, in verse 1, it says, As he finished, 
one of his disciples came to him and said, Hey, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And so, Jesus, we, I've, I've noticed you, you pray a lot. I, I've noticed it's kind of part of your life. John, I've, I've noticed that John the Baptist, he, he taught his disciples, kind of his followers and his guys, his inner circle, he kind of taught them how to pray. Would you teach us how to pray? And, and, and what's interesting is in this day, it, it wasn't abnormal for a rabbi to put together a prayer and give it to his disciples to recite. And, and so if you were my rabbi, you might put together a prayer and you might give it to me and I would just say it, you know, memorize it and I would just say it. And I would say exactly what you gave me to say. And that was kind of what they were used to. But this disciple must have noticed that for Jesus, prayer was different than that. Prayer was more than just reciting something that, that was written before. It was different. Jesus, it seemed to be more intimate. It seemed to be more focused on a relationship. It seemed to be a lot more than just memorizing a script and saying it. And so this disciple says, hey, Jesus, would you, did you teach us to pray? And verse 2 says this, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. And what Jesus does over the next few sentences is he gives a model. This model is very similar to the one he gave in Matthew 6, which we know as the Lord's Prayer. We actually looked at that a few weeks ago. It's a much shorter version but, but he gives them a model, and then he gives them a couple illustrations that will really help them understand prayer. And so he says, okay, let me, let me start with a, a model, a pattern, not a script, but a model for you to pray. And, and he starts it like this. He says, he starts his prayer, his model prayer with, hey, Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. And so Jesus, just like the, the Matthew 6 passage, this, in the same way, he starts this model prayer with the word Father. And, and back in, in this time period, and, and just the way the Jewish law was uh, kind of how it was lived out in that society, there was a, a distance between you and God in that religion, in that system. There were things you had to do to keep God happy with you. And so this idea of father and intimacy and dad was, was not normal. And so Jesus says, hey, let me, let me teach you to pray and, and, and let me give you a model, a pattern. And I want you to start with talking to your father, talking to God as your father, this idea of respect, closeness, very personal. But then he says, may your name be kept holy. So you'll notice this model, just like the one in Matthew 6, doesn't start with a list of stuff we want God to do for us. What it does, it starts with a, just showing that, hey, God, you're my father. I respect you. And in your name, I want your name to be revered. I want your name to be set apart. May your kingdom come soon. May God, may your way, may, may your kingdom, may your reign happen soon. May you get your way in my heart and in this society May you get your way. May your kingdom. We just sang about his kingdom and how his kingdom is simple and how his kingdom is different and how his kingdom's about serving and how his kingdom is different from the world. And so Jesus says, as you begin to pray, don't start with, hey, here's my laundry list of all the things I need from you. Start by noticing that you're talking to your father and, and talking to him about how you desire his kingdom to reign in your heart, but also in the world. May your kingdom come soon. And think about this. If you start your prayer, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're somebody that's 
maybe skeptical of the whole Jesus thing. Maybe you're watching online or you're here this morning. If you, when you start your prayer, and if you start your prayer with the idea that I'm talking to someone who loves me deeply, my father. And, and, and as I talk to him, I'm, I'm telling him before I say anything else that, God, your way, your kingdom is best. And I want your kingdom, your way to come. I want you to reign in my heart and in this society. When we start our prayer like that, it, it, changes, it changes how we pray. Because now it's not about my kingdom. It's not about, hey, make sure this happens for me, God. It's about God. I want your best because your best is best. May your kingdom reign. May your will be done. And I'm not talking to somebody that's a, a distant guy that I, that, you know, I got to keep happy. And if I don't keep him happy, he's going to bonk me over the head with the two by four. No, I'm talking to my father. And I'm saying to my father, Father, your kingdom, your way is best. And I want your way to come soon. And then, then Jesus goes into the, this next section of his model prayer, and, it's, and he says this. And it, again, it's very similar to the Lord's prayer. He says this, give us each day the food we need. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying, man, you, when you pray, talk to God about your physical needs. Talk to God about your physical needs because you are dependent on God. See, we live in a society, and, and I don't think this is new to us, but, but we live in a society where culture promotes this rugged individualism. And so we make it our goal, and we may not say it this way, but we make it our goal to not need anybody. Like, we, we want to get a good job. We want to make sure our retirement is fully funded. Man, we want to make sure the house is paid off. The boat, it's, it's, got, it's fueled up and ready to go. The vacation is planned and paid for because we want to be in a position where, man, we've got it all taken care of. We're good. We don't need anybody. And if we're not careful, we, we become very, we kind of feel the same way about God. It's like, God, I've got this. And so Jesus, as he's telling us how to pray, he says, remember that you are in desperate need of God. Without God, you can't even breathe. And a lot of the things that make us feel like we're okay, and, and a lot of the things in our life that, that once we have make us feel like maybe we don't need God, or at least need God as much, could be taken away in a second. And if you don't believe me, just turn to Job chapter 1 and watch how that happened. And, and so what Jesus is saying as he's laying out this model prayer is, hey, you start this prayer by, by looking to your father and, and saying, man, your way is best. And, and then you're, man, just humbly, you're just coming to him humbly dependent on him. And again, he's good. He's a good father. So it's not that you're coming to him like, oh, I hope he's, hope he's in a good mood today. No, he's in a good mood. He loves you. He desires his best for you. And so he, Jesus reminds us to, to go to God with our physical needs, but then he kind of closes this model by reminding us of our need in this area of spiritual and how we go to God with our spiritual needs as well. He says this in, in verse 4. He kind of closes up the model with this. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. And so Jesus, he, he finishes the, the model by reminding us that as we pray, a normal part of the rhythm of our prayers should be going to God and asking, hey, what have I done? Where have I disobeyed you? Where have I chosen my way instead of your way? And going to God and, and making that right, knowing that, man, when I sin, when I disobey God, when I choose my way instead of God's way, that I'm hindering intimacy with God. 
And so I go to God, and, and in the midst of my prayer, I go to him not as this angry judge, but as this loving father who's standing on the porch and waiting for his son to come home. I go to God, and I, I don't wait a year to go to God about something. I, I go to God every day. And in the rhythm of going to God every day, I'm saying, God, is there anything in my life that is hindering my relationship with you? And God, if there is, forgive me. And as we experience God's grace, it helps us then to forgive others. And then what we do is we say, God, God, I, man, I, I'm, I need your help. Man, if, if, if I'm left to myself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head in the wrong direction. And so, God, help me lead. Help me to not put myself into situations where I'm going to be tempted to do things that hinder my relationship with you. And here's the thing. This, is, this takes humility. And as we pray, we come to God from a place of humility. James, Jesus' brother, says it this way. He says, God... Resist the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so when we come to God and we say, God, man, I, I need your help not to, not to go in the wrong direction. I need your help not to, not to be led into temptation. God, I need your help. God's, he's saying, man, I'm, I'm here. I'm here to help. And so Jesus, as he's teaching his, his guys to pray, he says, here, let me give you a model. And then what he does is he gives them a couple just like real life illustrations to help them better understand how to pray. And so look down at verse five. And Jesus, he kind of, he goes from, now he's taught them a little bit of a model. And now he says, hey, let me tell you a couple short stories that may help kind of connect the dots for you. He says this. He says, then teaching them more about prayer, he used a story. He says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you're like, what? I mean, in what world is it okay for someone to come to your door at midnight because they want a sandwich? I mean, if you're bleeding out, and you're my neighbor, come over, and, and I, I'd love to help you. But if you just don't have bread, man, man give me a couple hours to finish sleeping, and, and, and I'll, you know, I'll help you. But Jesus tells a story about this, this guy, the neighbor, that, that comes over, and, and from the story, it seems like these people are friends. And this, this dude comes over and is knocking on his neighbor's house at midnight, because he needs a, not just one loaf. Like, who has three extra loaves of bread that they can just give up? This dude, he's not asking for a little bread. He's like, hey, I need three loaves. And Jesus kind of, he goes on and he kind of explains why this guy is doing this. He says, you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. So, so all right, in this, in this area and in this uh, time period, hospitality was huge. And it was rude and humiliating to have someone come over, even if it was a surprise guest, and if you didn't have something to feed them and really show them hospitality with, it was rude to them and it was very humiliating for you. And so this guy, man, he's kind of desperate. And, and he comes over and he's like, dude, I, I just need three loaves of bread. And, 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 he, and it says this in verse 7. And suppose he calls out. This is, this is the guy in the house now. He says, and suppose he calls out from his bedroom. Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. So think about it. This is probably a one-room house. And so this one-room house where everybody's kind of sleeping close to each other. This, this guy who's a friend probably of the guy knocking on the door is like, dude, if I get up and if I turn the lamp on and if I start getting the bread out, everybody's going to wake up. I can't help you. If you're, I mean, if you're a young parent, you get this. I mean, you love your kid, but you also love when your kid goes to bed. I mean, be honest. You love your kid all day long, but when it's bedtime... 
you love that they're going to go to bed. And you go to great lengths to make sure they don't wake up. I mean, there's a fan on, there's certain places in the house people aren't allowed to walk because the, the, the floor will creak and wake up your kid. And so, man, you're like, you don't even go back there. And if somebody happens to wake your kid up, you want to take them out back and shoot them because it's like, oh, I just got him to sleep. And so you can understand this. I mean, I remember, I remember with Kate, I mean, all our kids, but with Kate, she went through a phase where, man, she was scared. And I would have to, I would, and again, I'm a bad parent for doing this probably, but I would lay next to her bed until she fell asleep. And if you would have watched me, you would have been like, you should be on the Navy SEALs, Chris. Because, I mean, I'm laying there and it's like, I think she's asleep. I think she's asleep. And so I'm like creaking out of that room as slowly and agilely as I can so that, because again, man, if she hears me one bit, she's going to wake up and the 20 minutes starts again. And so that, this is basically what this guy's saying. He's like, dude, I know we're friends, but Junior's asleep. And if I get up and I start moving around in the house, he's going to wake up and it's going to be tough to get him back to sleep. <laughs> Jesus goes on because obviously in this illustration, this guy doesn't give up easily. He says, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, like this guy ain't getting up because you're his boy. That ain't going to motivate him to get out of bed. He says, not, he's not going to do it for that. But if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up. And you might get punched, but he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Like this guy's not getting up to get you bread because you graduated high school together and because you were on the basketball team together. No, 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 no. But if you keep knocking on the door... And you keep annoying him to the point where he, he's just going to get up and give you what you wanted so you'll go away. And what, what Luke's not doing is he's not comparing Jesus or God to this guy, that this person in the house. What he's trying to focus on is this person at the door that is shamelessly persistent. Uh, your translation may say it this way bold or shameless audacity like this person keeps knocking and keeps knocking and keeps knocking shamelessly and persistently and so jesus says so based on this story verse 9 he says this so i tell you keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for keep on seeking and you will find Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. What Jesus is doing is he's exhorting his followers to pray and to pray with boldness, to pray with persistence, because God responds to the prayers of his people. He, he, God is not our personal genie where, you know, we rub the lamp and get whatever we want. He's not our like cosmic vending machine in the sky that, hey, as long as we put in enough money and push the right button, we're going to get exactly what we ask for. It's not what Jesus isn't promoting is some name it and claim it theology that, hey, if you just ask for it and believe enough, the Rolls Royce, the, the month vacation will just show up. He's not saying that because in the context of this conversation, he's just laid out a model prayer. He's just laid out, hey, here's how you should pray, but here's what he is doing. He's, he's using this illustration to encourage us to pray persistently, to pray boldly, to pray urgently. Mark Batterson, an author and a pastor in Washington, D.C., he wrote a book that I've read several times called The Circle Maker. And one of the quotes that he says in that book, among other great things that he says, is he says, bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. And as Jesus is illustrating this, he, he wants to 
Because he knows that his guys are going to go through some ups and downs. They're going to go through some tragedy. They're going to go through some really good times. He, he knows all that's about to happen. And he, he's encouraging them, hey, when you pray, pray urgently. Pray tenaciously. Pray. Don't give up. Continue to pray persistently. For some of you, you, have, you, you could share testimonies of, of things that you've prayed for for decades. And it wasn't until a few decades into praying for something that you saw God move. For in other times, maybe you prayed once or twice and you saw God move. Other prayers, you've been praying and praying your whole life and, and nothing's changed and you're not sure how it's all going to work out. But God's saying, continue to pray. Continue to knock. Pray persistently. Jesus, as he kind of closes this section, he he illustrates in, in another way with another short story. And he, and he tells this other short story to help the reader and to help his disciples have a good picture of who God is or a better picture. Because if, if we're supposed to pray to God and he's our father, it's probably important that we kind of know a little bit more of who he is and his character. And so Jesus says, hey, let, let, me, let me share with you another kind of illustration. He says this. He says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish. So in our, in our life, you probably don't have a kid that comes up to you. Hey, dad, could you, I'm just, I need a fish. No, but you have a kid come up and say, hey, I want a snack or I'm hungry. So basically, hey, when your kid comes up to you and says, hey, dad or mom or uncle or aunt, man, I'm, I'm hungry. I, I need something to eat. When they do that, and if you're around kids, this happens frequently. He says this, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? So when my little girl Kate, nine years old, comes and, and asks for mac and cheese, like, do I give her a bowl of rat poisoning? Of course not. I mean, that's literally what, what he does. Of course not. Like, if, I, if your little kid comes up to you and is hungry, man, you're, you're not going to like, you know, let's fake him out and give him something that'll kill him. No, you're, you're going to give what, what you can, what you have available, the best you have. You love this kid. And, and Jesus says this in verse 13. So if you sinful people, and we would be included in that, you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children. He's saying, man, if, if you people that are imperfect, you parents that are selfish, like we all are, you, you people that have limited resources, if even you are going to give good gifts to your kid, which you would, he says this, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's saying, man, if, if even a, a selfish, kind of imperfect, doesn't have all the resources in the world, parent is going to give good gifts to their kid, then how much more is God who is perfect, who wants good for you, who loves you unconditionally, who has unlimited resources, how much more is that father going to give a really good gift to his kids? And one of the gifts he refers to is, is the Holy Spirit. He say that the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, that, that God, if you're a follower of Jesus, has literally given you his spirit to live inside you. And Jesus, as he's talking to his guys and as they're kind of listening and they've asked him to teach him to pray, he's kind of given them a model of, hey, here's a pattern, a way you could pray. And then he's given them a couple illustrations to remind them that, yeah, hey, be, be someone that prays and pray persistently and, and remember that you're praying to a good father who, who wants to give you good gifts. And, and one of the gifts that he's given you is the Holy Spirit. He's, he's talking to these disciples. And, and maybe you're sitting there, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you're not, and you're like, oh, Chris, that honestly, it sounds great. And I expect you to say that, Chris. I mean, that's kind of what you do in your role. That's probably what you should say. That sounds good. 
But for you, and, and, and maybe for me, maybe for you, but probably for a lot of us, some of us, we've gotten the carpet pulled out from under us in our life. Some of you have. Maybe you, you're watching online and you've had people close to you that have failed you. You've, in some cases, been hurt deeply by people you trusted. And so without maybe even meaning to, without even knowing that we're doing it, sometimes what we do is we take what we feel about other people and their failures and how they've let us down, and we put that on God. If you had a, a, a horrible example for a father, it's hard for you to think of God as a loving heavenly father. That just makes sense. That, yeah, I get that. And so for you, as, as you're thinking about this, it's, it's hard for you to kind of put all the pieces together because, man, if you're honest, you're always looking behind your back kind of waiting for the next shoe to drop. Because all throughout your life, people that you've loved have let you down. People that you loved have hurt you deeply. And so you're guessing that God's the same way. And, and for these people that Jesus is talking to, they understood this too because in their society, they, they lived in a society where the, the religion of the day was super flawed and it, it was jacked up. And, and what had happened was the religion of the day had become a legalistic list of things to do and not do. And, and if you did this and you didn't do this, God was happy with you. But if you did the wrong things, God wasn't happy with you. And so for them to think of God as a loving father, it's like, what? I mean, in this society, if you were sick, you, you had some deformity, there was something wrong with you. People would, maybe they wouldn't say it to your face, but they'd say it to other people. Hey, I wonder who in their family sinned. Wonder what they did wrong to, to get God mad at them like this. And so Jesus is talking to people that, man, have probably felt the same way that some of you do. Where, where for you, as you try to think of a loving heavenly father, it's, it's honestly hard because so many people in your life have let you down. But here's the thing, and I, I love why that Jesus did this. He, he points all throughout his ministry, he points to his father, and he points to him as this loving, gracious, someone that's super approachable. Yes, he is Truth is important, and it can't be compromised, but, but you can have grace and truth. And, and Jesus, as he's talking to these guys, he's saying, man, you got to know about who your father is and how gracious and loving he is. And, and here's the beautiful thing. The things that Jesus was teaching, the, these, these words that he said to his disciples 2,000 years ago are as applicable to us as they were 2,000 years ago. And here's what his goal, his goal in this conversation wasn't to give them every in and out about prayer and to answer every theological question about prayer. But he did share with them some truth and he taught them some things and reminded them of some things. And here's what he did. He taught them or reminded them that God is good and wants good for you. It's one of the things as you read through this model prayer and as you read through the stories that Jesus gave, he wanted his followers to know that, you know what? God is a good father. And he wants good for you. See, sometimes we, we think, well, God's so, you know, I just got to stay and, and do all these things and don't do all these things. And, and here's, the, here's the truth. The reason he gives us those things is because he wants good for us. So he knows that, you know what? If you commit adultery, you jack up your family. So don't commit adultery. Well, God, you're just being kind of hard on us. No. It, it, hey, stealing messes up your life. And, and you can fill in the blanks with anything that you've ever thought like, oh, that's kind of tight, God. It, just read through Proverbs. God is for you. He's for your good. And one of the things that Jesus wanted us to understand as he taught his disciples is that when you're talking to your father, you're talking to someone who is good and wants good for you. But you're also, he says this, as he's teaching his guys and reminding them, he reminds them of this, that God invites us to pray bold and persistent prayers. 
This is another thing that as you read through this model and you read through these stories, that one of the lessons is that, you know what? This good God invites us into this prayer. He invites us to pray boldly. He invites us to pray persistently. But then the the third thing that he teaches us or reminds us in this section is that God responds to the prayers of his children. God responds. We have a good God who wants good. We know that this good God invites us to pray, to pray boldly, to pray persistently. And we know this, that God responds to the prayers of his children. You're like, well, Chris, how does it work? I don't know. Chris, well, I, 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 can you fill in more gaps? Probably not. Because there's, there's a mystery to it. I don't know. I don't know why you've been praying one thing for 20 years and nothing seems to happen. And you've prayed this one other thing for a, a day and it just something transformed. I don't know. But here's what I know. God is good and wants good for you. Here's what I know. God invites us to pray bold and persistent prayers. And here's what I know. God responds to the prayers of his children. Over the years, Lori and I, man, we have seen God. We prayed and we have seen God heal. We've seen God save. We've seen God provide in crazy ways. We've seen God move in in just huge ways. How it all worked, I'm not sure. But we prayed, and God did stuff. Most of you guys know that I grew up in Central Florida. And one of the things that we used to do in Central Florida, and if you're from Central Florida, or if some of you go to Central Florida for this reason, is there's a lot of roller coasters in Central Florida. And one of my favorites, I think we have a picture of it, is, is the Hulk, and it's at Universal Studios. And this is a, probably my favorite roller coaster in Central Florida. I know they've built a few since I've left, but this is one of my favorites. And when you go get on the Hulk, just like any roller coaster that you're, you get on, they, they give you a couple instructions. So, so you sit down after you waited in line, and they say, all right, hey, fasten your seatbelt. All right, I can do that. And then usually what do they say? Okay, pull the bar down, some type of bar, either on your lap or roller coasters like this. It's like over your whole body. And so you pull that down. And then usually what they'll do is they'll come, and you've been on roller coasters, they come and, you know, do double check a couple things, they'll make sure your seatbelt's good, and, and then you blast off, and you have a blast. I mean, it is. If you ride this roller coaster, if you're a fan of roller coasters, this is an awesome roller coaster. And I enjoy this roller coaster in spite of the fact I have no clue how it works. I don't know how it was built. I don't know the ins and outs of this thing. I don't know anything technical about it. Maybe I'd be scared if I knew more stuff. All I know is they give me a couple instructions. I do the couple things they tell me to do. And then I enjoy thoroughly this roller coaster till I get off it. And then it's, I'm a little woozy for a little bit, but it's an awesome roller coaster. And you probably know where I'm going. Like, this is like prayer. You're like, prayer is like a roller coaster? No, here's what I mean. You know what, with prayer, It's similar. If you wait to figure out everything about prayer before you start praying, you'll never pray. But here's what we have. God has given us clear instructions. He hasn't told us everything about prayer. He hasn't filled in all the gaps for us, but he's given us some very clear, practical instructions and models to help us with prayer. And then he invites us into prayer and intimacy and watching him work. And so the questions, I mean, it's it's really up to you. Just like when I go to Universal and I stand there and and, and, I've waited in line and I'm about to get on the roller coaster, I have to decide, like, 
Am I going to enjoy this roller coaster? Am I going to get into this thing and, and, and ride this? Or am I going to stand there and just try to figure this whole thing out? No, I'm, I'm going to get on. I'm going to get on. I'm going to do the couple things they tell me to do, and I'm going to have a blast. Well, God has invited you into something very special through prayer. He's given us clear instructions. He's given us practical examples. And the, the choice is up to you and me. You can stand on the sidelines and watch other people's lives be transformed through prayer and watch other people see God work through prayer, or you can get in. And Jesus invites you just like he invited his disciples to pray. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As we close, with every head bowed and every eye closed, Maybe you're here, you're watching online, and you would say, hey, Chris, man, I'm a follower of Jesus. Maybe you came to church today, or you're watching online, and you would say, hey, Chris, man, there's been a time in my life when I've chosen to believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, and I've put my faith in him, and I'm a follower of him. Well, if that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you a question. What place does prayer have in your life? Maybe you'd say, hey, Chris, it's, it's a normal part of my, my life. It's just a rhythm that I have, and throughout my day, I just pray. It's something I do. It's a, it's a regular thing for me. Or maybe you'd, you'd be honest enough to say, you know what, Chris? It's honestly not that big of a priority. And, and, and if you would say that, and... and I think it's, if, you're, if that's true, just be honest. My next question would be this, why? Why? Why isn't prayer more of a priority for you? If you're a follower of Jesus, usually it's one of two reasons. It's either that we don't trust God fully, and maybe that's because of We've been hurt by some other people, and so it's just hard to trust God because we've been hurt by others. So maybe it's because we don't trust God. Or, or the second reason that we wouldn't make prayer a priority is we feel like we don't need God. Like, we've kind of got this. Like, yeah, when I get into a tough situation, I, I'll, I'll phone a friend. I'll call God then. But, but throughout my normal life, I'm, I'm good. So for you, what is it? If you would say, Chris, it's, it's just not been a priority in my life. Yeah, I've prayed a few times when I kind of get in a tight situation, but a, a normal rhythm, that's just not where it is in my life. Well, no matter what it's been in the past, here's my question for you. Would you be willing to lean into prayer in a fresh way? It, it might start with just setting, setting some time aside. Just setting some time aside in your schedule, maybe over your lunch break, maybe it's during your, your morning run or different time in your, your schedule. Would you just set aside a few minutes and say, hey, I'm going to on purpose set aside time to talk to God. Would you, would you do that? Would you start this week? Would you start today? Maybe you're here, or you're watching online and you would say, hey, Chris, to be honest, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're skeptical of this whole Jesus thing. Maybe you've been hurt deeply by religion in the past, and so you've kind of straight-armed Jesus along with the church. And, and maybe you're coming back now. You're kind of investigating again. You're hoping it could be different. But you would say, Chris, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Well, the first prayer that God would love to hear you pray is a prayer of salvation. A prayer that, that leads you into a relationship with Him. You say, Chris, how would I do that? How would I start a relationship with God today? Well, it's real simple. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you be willing to just admit to God that you've sinned? Just admit to God, God, I've, I've done things my own way. I haven't followed your way. Just admit it. He already knows. Would you be willing to admit it? 
And then would you be willing to believe in your heart that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, that he did that for you? And then just ask, God, come into my life. Transform me. I want a relationship with you. If you're here this morning or you're watching online, maybe you're listening to this on a podcast. And you would say, Chris, today's the day I want to start a relationship with God. Just in the quietness of this room, just between you and God, you can do that now. Just say to God in your heart, God, I admit to you that I have sinned. I have disobeyed you. I've done things my own way. Just tell him. And then just tell him, God, I believe that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, that he did that because he loved me. And then just ask him, God, come into my life. Transform me. I want a relationship with you. If this morning, if you started a relationship with Jesus, you, you prayed and asked God to save you, you started that relationship, man, we would love to know about that. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc and there's a decision card that you can fill out. It'll come to us and we'll call you or text you this week and just see if you have any questions. And man, we would love to rejoice with you. If you're here this morning with us in person, there's a decision card right in front of you. You can fill out that card and on your way out, drop it in the offering basket or take it to the next steps table. And again, we're not going to bug you this week, but we'll just call you once just to check in, see if you have any questions. Just want to make sure that you understand your decision. Really, we want to just rejoice with you. So if you made that decision to follow Jesus today, Would you take a minute and just fill that card out so we can rejoice with you? Lord, I thank you that because of what you did on the cross, we can come boldly before the throne. We don't need a priest in between us and you. We don't need anything because of what Jesus did. We can come boldly and talk to our Heavenly Father. Thank you for that privilege. And God, I pray that we would take advantage of that. In Jesus' name, amen.